Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. Real quick, I want to give a big shout out to Ohio, California, Florida, Alabama. The shares are making it around the country because of you. Thank you. But believe it or not, today is going to be like one long counseling session. Ever been to counseling? You probably need it. I do. We all, we all do. What we're talking about today is the start of a long counseling session. Stay locked in. I think you'll find this next bit challenging and refreshing. Let's get into it. You know, in Lord of the Rings, and all the Lord of the Rings fans just perked up. Like, oh, this is going to be the best sermon ever. I'm just kidding, by the way. I love Lord of the Rings. It's been a while since I've seen one of the movies, but I do love the movies. But in the movie Lord of the Rings, the, the ring of power corrupts anyone who puts this ring on. Uh, if, if, if you put this on, you will be corrupted. So, so watch out, because the ring in the movie is a desire amplifier. This ring will take your desires and amplify them to become obsessions. So in the movie, if someone, uh, for example, has the best of intentions, maybe they want to liberate slaves somewhere, maybe they want to preserve land, or maybe they want to bring justice, which is a good objective, but once they put on this ring, it, that objective becomes this all-consuming obsession, this idol in their life. They become enslaved by the ring. The ring has the power to turn a good thing into an addiction, amplifying good things to become idols. Don't put this ring on. It's too dangerous. Did you know that your heart does the same thing? Your heart is like the ring. It takes little desires, good things, finding love, your children, achieving some sort of success. Your heart will take good things and amplify them to become idols. This is why God says this in Ezekiel. God says these men have set up their idols in their hearts. It's, it's the ring effect. Their heart had taken good things and a good desire and made it into an idol and amplified it to become this all-consuming pursuit that they sacrificed their life for. Now, you know what this means, don't you? This means that you and I, we have the propensity to worship idols, to be idolaters. You might be thinking, oh, come on, Junior. I know, it seems like I'm being a little bit too dramatic here because when we think of you know, idols or idol worship or idolatry, what, what do you think of when you think of the word idol worship? You know, a lot of images come to our head. You know, maybe, um, maybe people circled around a statue or people dressed up like animals, you know, dancing around an altar and, and singing songs and cheering. But I don't know, if we were to bring someone to life from thousands of years ago and bring them to life today, you know, like the Field Museum. I was at the Field Museum a couple weeks ago. And uh, we were looking at unwrapped mummy bo- bodies from thousands of years ago. And if they came to life, you know, like, light, not, like light, night at the museum, mummies, those mummies come to life, and they were to walk into our 21st century, you know, into our streets, I think they would walk around your town, they would walk around your neighborhood, and they would go, wow, these people have got some idols. Look at them dress up like animals and go to their expensive temples, their stadiums. Look at them lose their minds as the little gods run out onto the field. Oh, look at their homes. Look at how their their furniture is, is all arranged around their television. Look at them glued to their little rectangles, uh, thinking that's like part of them. See, we got our idols. We just don't call them idols. I mean, for me, I, I think at least the, at least the pagans were, were honest, you know, 
They had a God for sex. They had a God for war. They had a God for money. At least they were honest. They were like, yeah, that's what has our hearts. We have the same exact gods today. We just don't call them what they are. The fact is, your heart is the ring. My heart, your heart, our hearts are idle factories, magnifying good things to become these all-consuming pursuits. And the truth is, we are feeling the consequences of that. Come on, how many of us, we find ourselves exhausted? How many of us find ourselves frustrated? How many of us find ourselves generally unsatisfied and inconsistently unhappy? We can't figure it out. We're in a funk. It's a problem. It has been for some time. And God wants you to sign off today more free than you've ever been. It's time to hit that reset button. You ready? Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're at today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We've been combing through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's actually uh, the 12th week of the series. And we're hitting the reset button on many areas of our life. Hitting the reset button on our mind, on sex, on relationships, on, on our identity. It has been exactly what the doctor has ordered after the year that we just came out of. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we're just going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're just going to jump right into the text. We're going to unpack it, kind of get a feel for what's going on. And then after that, we'll come out of it and uh, talk about how this meets us today. But first, we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you wrote this to us. God, may we feel the weight of these words. These words are, are written by the creator of the universe to us. So, Father, I ask that uh, you do a surgery on our heart because we need it. And may we be honest with ourselves. May your Holy Spirit search our hearts, illuminate this text to us. And may we be honest with where we're really at, with you. And God, I, I pray that uh, you do a great work in us right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms in on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we enter into Corinth, Greece. The cobblestone streets slowly warm as the sun inches overhead. There's a trendy little family-friendly cafe. It's a little room in an adobe wall. The owner claims that he gets tea from the east, but rumor has, has it around town that he just grows it on the hillside. All the same, as you sit in this little tea cafe, you sip and sit, and the tea's good. The tavern next to you, you could do without. The loud, crude, barbaric jokes ring out into the streets. It's, as you sit in the cafe, it's this perfect little place to just kind of people watch. You can see the congestion of the marketplace right there. You have the congestion at the harbor down there. You see the, 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 the travelers, the sailors coming through. It's a great place to people watch as you sit. And, and you notice this city is shameless. With the constant merchandise coming through, large prostitution rings in the city, a growing economy, Corinth offers mankind what mankind has been seeking, money, sex, power. It still drives us today, but it's blatantly obvious here in Corinth. Not too far from the little cafe where you sit, past a, a few temples, meets this little church. A group of people trying to morally detach themselves from the swirling temptation in the city. And as we walk into this little church, we hear these words being read out loud. Verse 1, 
It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What's going on here? Junior, are we back to talking about Lord of the Rings here? There's some weird stuff here. Under the cloud, passed through the sea. What is this all about? Well, Paul's giving them a history lesson. Uh, Their history and ours, if, if you're a believer, Paul says we are grafted into God's people. And so this is our history too. When God's people, when the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they were led by a cloud and they passed through the Red Sea to exit Egypt. So if you have your Bibles in front of you, which I hope you do, in verses 1 through 5, this is a history lesson. It's led by a cloud through the Red Sea. Uh, They ate manna that fell from heaven. They drank from a rock. Uh, God literally led them and fed them through the wilderness. They were completely and fully dependent on God in a wasteland. God is leading them. God is feeding them. He's bringing them to something incredible, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then look at verse 5. He continues this history lesson. He says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Well, why wasn't God pleased? What does it mean they were overthrown in the wilderness? Because they didn't really want God. Oh, they followed God. They ate the food that fell from heaven. They drank the water that flowed from the rock. They followed the cloud. But their hearts, their idol factories, like ours, they were elsewhere. It's like many of us. Sign on to church. Maybe take communion. Read the Bible. Hear the sermon. Sing the songs. But there's no devotion. There's no response. Just kind of going through the motions. Learning but not transforming. Heart really isn't in it. This was Israel in the wilderness. Case in point, as soon as the people had a chance, they made an idol. And you might know this story. If you remember the story, Moses is up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments uh, from God written on stone on the mountain. Meanwhile, below the mountain, the, the Israelites are melting their jewelry to make a golden calf. And so Moses comes walking down the mountain with, with these Ten Commandments he just got from God, and then he, what does he find God's people doing? He finds God's people standing around a golden calf and worshiping it. Their hearts were in other things. Oh, the people of Israel, they still saw God as somebody they should follow. They still ate the manna that fell from heaven. They still called themselves God's people, but their hearts, like ours, were in all of these other pursuits. And as a result, they didn't get to the promised land. Like us, they wandered around the desert, they wandered around the wasteland, floundering their whole life, one place to the next, one let down to another, never receiving what God had for them because their hearts kept on pulling them elsewhere. You know, as a, as a kid, so I grew up in church, I grew up Christian, and I heard this story of the golden calf many, many times at my school, from my Sunday school teachers. Every time I heard this story, I always thought, these guys are idiots. God is literally feeding them. God is literally leading them. And they're left alone for a little bit, and they go worship a golden cow? But the point of the story is, that's you. That's me. It's us. How many of us are led by God on Sunday? We're fed by God on Sunday. We, we are fed, we are led, 
Then we go into the wilderness of our week, into the real world, at work, at home, with our friends, and we too are overthrown, pursuing our own idol, making our own golden calf. Oh, it's not a golden calf that we're making. Maybe it's a career that's our golden calf. Maybe it's an image that we're trying to create of ourselves. Maybe it's a relationship that, that we're giving our all for. I mean, you have your own golden calf. But then on Sunday, you come back to church, you sign back on to church, you sing some songs, you read some of the Bible, you're led by God again, you're fed by God again, but then as soon as you hit the wilderness of your week, we're back to sacrificing for something else. Do you see what, do you see what Paul is doing here? This is absolutely brilliant writing. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. How many of us are going to spend our entire lives doing the same exact thing? This is so good, isn't it? I, I, I love God's word. We continue on in verse 6. Paul says, now these things, the golden calf, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So they wandered around the wasteland for 40 years, let down after let down after let down after let down until they died. And they serve as examples for us because in the same way, God is leading you, God is calling you, God is beckoning you, God has something for you. There's a place of fulfillment, there's a place of satisfaction that God wants to bring you to, but it doesn't look like what you want. It doesn't look like pleasure. It doesn't look like power. It looks like hard work, actually. It looks like a lot of risk. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like a lot of humility. So instead of going to where God is leading you, instead, we're going to try to do both. We're going to eat our manna. We're going to follow the cloud. We're going to sing the songs. We're going to read the word, whatever, but our hearts are really over there. Because we won't really take God's lead fully and we'll wander our whole lives and then we'll die. Let me pray to close the service. I'm just kidding. I mean, this is cutting so deep, isn't it? And Paul just keeps cutting away in the next few verses. Again, if you have your Bibles in front of you, start at verse 7. He says, so don't be an idolater. Verse 8, he says, it can be sex that you worship. Uh, verse 9, he says, lack of submission. When you don't submit, that's a sign you have an idol. Uh, verse 10, he says, idolatry can be, can, um, can be complaining because you're not getting what you want, so you're just always negative, always complaining. I mean, he just keeps on cutting and cutting and cutting. He says, a misplaced sex drive. If you can't submit, if you're complaining, there's an idol there. And so we come to this, this paragraph. Pretty much none of us come out of this paragraph unscathed. We're all, we're all, you're an Israelite in the wilderness. I'm an Israelite in the wilderness. Uh, skip to verse 13. Verse 13. Uh, verse 13 is a popular verse. It's often misused. And so let's unpack it correctly. Verse 13, Paul says this. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, looking at this, this seems like a big change of subject here, doesn't it? You know, for the first paragraph, Paul's talking about idols, golden cows, and, and idols, and wandering around because, because we're serving different idols, being led astray by idols. And then it's like, bam, here's like this big change of subject here about temptation. But there's something going on here, that, that I, so I want to hit the brakes here, and I want to look at this closer, because this is, this is so cool. To Paul, this is not a change of subject at all. Paul is pointing out idols and temptation, they go hand in hand. 
The temptation that you faced this morning, the temptation that you faced yesterday, the temptation that you faced this last week, those temptations point to the idol that has a pull on you. You can identify your potential idols by the temptations that you face. The temptations that you faced this past week and the temptations that you will face this next week all point to a potential idol that has a pull on you. So maybe this last week you had a, a temptation to lie. You're trying to save your image. You were, te- you were tempted to protect your idol, your image. Uh, you were tempted to head to a website to engage in the god of sex, unhealthy sex. Tempted to sacrifice your family for, uh, for, uh, for work. You know, you were tempted to work those extra hours because you have the idol of success. Temptation to allow your kids to take precedence over your relationship with God or over your relationship with your spouse. You have the idol of children. Your temptations that you face point to the idols that have a pull on you. I think about it for me. Um, I've never been tempted to gamble seriously. It's just not not my thing. It's just not a temptation. I'm not saying it never could be. It just never has been because gambling is just not an idol to me. But I was tempted to fight with my wife this week about the camper we'd get. So so my wife and I, we've been saving for a, to get a camper. Finally pulled the trigger on, on a little camper I wanted an Airstream. That's like my dream. They, they don't depreciate value, and they look awesome. My wife, she's all practical. She's like, oh, they don't have bunks for kids. The storage isn't great, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, but they look friggin' sweet. And I wanted to spend three times more to get an Airstream because my image, I mean, come on, I would look so cool with an Airstream. Our temptations point to the idols that we serve. So this is why Paul here, this is not a change of, it seems like a change of subject here, but it's not to Paul at all. It's all one thought. No temptation to sacrifice to an idol has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now that's what this verse is saying in context. But a lot of times, you and I, we've heard this verse, and we'll hear it by celebrities often, Um, we, we hear this verse out of context. So you ever hear somebody say, and maybe a friend has said this, or you, you've, you've heard this at like an, an award ceremony or something like this. You ever hear people say, you know, well, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Very common saying, right? Especially when someone is experiencing loss, if they lost a loved one or something, they say, hey, chin up. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And sure, there can be some truth to that. Totally understand that. Problem is they get it from this verse, and that's not what this verse is saying at all. This verse is talking about temptation. Every time an idol pulls on you, every time an idol calls to you, every time a temptation hits, there's always a way out. There's always a way of escape. There's there's always a door out. God doesn't allow you to be tempted more than you can handle because there's always a door to walk out. We'll hit that in just a little bit, but let's keep on going. Verse 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. We've seen this word pop up already in this letter a few times. Paul is not a fan of doing what we like to do. Manage sin, downplay sin, excuse sin, joke about sin, hide sin, try to beat sin. Paul says, no, come on, flee, get out of there. If you don't, you will spend your life like the Israelites in the wilderness, disappointment to disappointment, letdown after letdown, wandering around, unsatisfied, unhappy, a wasted life. And so Paul says, there's way too much at stake flee get out of there and then he wraps this up so beautifully in verse 22 he says 
Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Now we can read this and uh, we, we, can, we can see this through the lens of God being angry and mean. At least, at least I do. When I, when I first read this, I'm like, ugh, you know, this, don't provoke God to jealousy. It's like, well, geez, I mean, this escalated quickly. Like, God's all angry up there at me. But let's think about this for, for, for a second. You ever been jealous? When I was in college, uh, Nicole, we were engaged at the time. She was going to nursing school, and, and apparently one of her professors had a bit of a thing for her because one of her nursing professors wrote her an email, a highly inappropriate email. The guy was married, you know, telling Nicole his feelings and how he wished that he would have met her before, she, before he got married. And, and so Nicole showed me this email. I had these feelings of jealousy. It's like, I don't, I don't want you going to his class. Like, she's my girl. Like, eyes off, buddy. You think about it, jealousy can only happen if there's a deep affection. I mean, frisky professor can hit on another girl in the class. I don't care. No jealousy, not my girl. But Nicole, okay, she's my girl. I, I got plans. Like, that's the girl I'm going to marry. That's the girl we're going to have a house. That's the girl we're gonna have, I'm going to have babies with. Jealousy kicks in because that's my girl. And we got, I got, I got plans. We got, we got plans. And so we can easily read this verse and we can be like, well, yikes, God's this jealous God getting all angry up there. It's kind of a jerk. That's not it at all. God has this deep, deep affection for you. There's jealousy because you're his and he's got plans for you, a promised land. But when you chase after something else, you wander from let down to let down, and you know this because this has been in your past, right? Let down to let down, disappointment to disappointment, and it breaks God's heart to watch that because he has something far better and far greater, far more fulfilling, far more satisfying for you. This chapter's so good, isn't it? It gives us three things for our wilderness this week. You were about to head back out into your wilderness this week, the wilderness of work, the wilderness of friendships, the wilderness of life. And this chapter gives you three things to help you get through your wilderness. Here we go. Number one. Number one. I really encourage you to take notes. Number one. Identify your idols. You want to make it through your wilderness? Identify your idols. See, the thing about idolatry is, is we tend to see idolatry very easily in other people, but we're blind to our own idolatry. Now, you, uh, for example, you could follow me around this week, and please don't, that'd be creepy, but let's just say you did. You followed me around for the week, you went to the office with me, you were in the car with me, you went home with me, you drove around with me, you heard the conversations I was having, you saw the things I spent my money on, uh, you paced the house with me in the middle of the night. I guarantee you, after a day, not maybe, not, might not even take that long, you could spot my idols, You probably pretty quickly, and I could do the same with you. We are quick to identify other people's idols. Oh, that person really, you know, their idol is their image. Oh, look at that person sacrificing their marriage for their children. Oh, that person is sacrificing their family for their career. They got, oh, they're idolaters. We can identify other idols pretty quickly. We can identify our own. But we change when we can. So let's do that. What's your idol? Let's make this a little bit more difficult. Paul doesn't pull any punches in this chapter, so let's just let those punches sink in for a second. One of the first things that biblical counselors do when they, meet with, um, when they meet with their clients, when they're working with their clients, is they sit down and they have them identify potential idols. Because a lot of our issues all stem from idols, false idols that we serve. And so why don't we do that? This would be like a, a big, massive counseling session right now. Free of charge. I'm, I'm not going to send you a bill, okay? But let's do this right now. Take out your phone or a pen and a paper, and nobody will see this. This is for your eyes only. 
and just jot down a few of your idols. Like when I talked about idolatry earlier, what came to mind? We talk about temptations that point to idols. What came to mind? Jot down a few of those idols. You might jot down success. You might jot down sex. You might jot down, uh, jot down image. You might jot down children. It might be a person. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's a politic. But what are some of your idols? Type them out. Jot them down. Because I know what will happen. I do the same thing. Is we'll sit down. We'll get into God's word. We'll talk about identifying idols. And we'll all go, oh yeah, this is good. I should totally do that. But then we head back out into our wilderness and this is all forgotten. So let's, let's, let's change that. Type them out right now. When you head back into your wilderness of your week, what's going to be your temptation? What's going to want your affection and your attention? What's going to want your sacrifice? The first step in getting through the wilderness, beating temptation, is identifying your weakness. Identifying that golden calf that has this pull on you. Once you identify that, that idol, it strips it of some of its power, but it's only the first step is identifying the idol. Number two, you want to make it through your wilderness. First, you've got to identify your idol, but you want to make it through your wilderness. Number two, look for the door. Look for the door. If you want to stop wandering around, if you want to stop floundering from disappointment to disappointment to disappointment, number two, look for the door. We just looked at verse 13. Paul says, with every temptation, he, meaning God, will always provide a way of escape. Every time you are tempted, there is a door out. It's like a few years ago, uh, Nicole and I had a, uh, had a, a day layover in Paris, uh, 10 hours. And so I told her, I said, hey, instead of like hanging out in the airport, let's, uh, let's like go explore Paris. And she was like, I don't know, like we don't know French. What if we get lost? What if we miss our flight? And I was like, I know, it'll be great. Let's go. And I got us lost. We took a train into Paris, and I just I, I didn't realize how many subway lines Paris has. And so we ended up like in a downtown hub. We were underground, um, didn't know like didn't know how to get to the street above us. Every all the signs were in French. I didn't know what exit is in French. You know, I'm a, I'm American. I don't know I don't know French. And so we ended up sitting on a train that was out of service for like. 20 minutes, the lights started going off. Nicole thought we were going to get robbed. I mean, we're like four stories underground. There's a train line above us and a train line above that. I mean, we're walking in circles trying to get out. What I needed was in London, in the train system in London, they have these signs that say this, way out, pointing to the exit. I needed that. At any moment, if you're stuck in the London subway system, you can always get out. You know the way out. These signs will point you to escalators and then down hallways until you get to the, to the street above. And it's this door, it's this exit door, Paul is saying in this text, that God gives you every time you face a temptation. It's this door right here, it's this path, this way out that God provides for you that leads you to the promised land that God has for you. Israel wandered for 40 years because they wouldn't take the door. They followed the pull of their idols, and it led them in circles for 40 years. And if you aren't intentional about the idols that you just jotted down, you will do the same thing your entire life. Wander around. Look for the door. There's always a door that leads you to what God has for you. Now the problem is, and I want to take this just like another layer deeper because this is, this is reality. The further you walk toward your idol, the smaller the way out gets. See, when temptation first, first comes and hits you, the way out is very obvious. But the more you walk toward that, that false god, toward that idol, 
the smaller the door gets. It's that person that you just met at work. They're a coworker. And they're fun, they're, they're attractive, but you're married. And the conversations tend to lean toward being flirtatious. But you tell yourself, ah, it's just, it's just harmless fun, whatever. And, and one night, Friday night, your coworkers are all going out after work, and you know you shouldn't. You have a dinner planned with your family. It's an easy way out. It's a big door. Nope, sorry, can't. Got dinner with my family. The door is big. The way out is very obvious. But the coworkers, they won't let up. Just stay. Come on, just come out for one drink. Let off some steam. Come on, man. We know it's, it's, it's been a long week at work. And you take that pull, and the door gets smaller. You're at the restaurant really enjoying conversing with that attractive coworker, and it's new and it's fun it's flirtatious it's exciting you don't want to leave but you know you should you gotta go now and there's a way out there's still a door but your friend buys another round it's rude to leave now right so you stay and the door again gets smaller it's harder to leave now and finally you're about ready to go and the attractive coworker that you've been hanging out with that night needs a ride and you say i'm sorry i gotta go i can't give you a ride i can't but I had just a couple of minutes out of the way. Come on. You feel bad for saying no. It's says, okay, fine, I'll give you a ride. And the door shrinks, and it's harder to leave now. It's more awkward to leave now. You're dropping them off. They say, come on inside. It's just for a bit. You should see where I live. No, 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 I got to go. For real, I got to go. But it's just one extra minute. Come on. All right, fine, but, but like real quick, for real. And the door again get smaller and it shrinks and now you're in their house and now there's still a way out there's still a door that you can leave but it's much more awkward to leave through the smaller door now a few hours ago the door was big ah sorry i got plans dinner plans with the family tonight see you all on monday have a good time but now you're in their house and now there's a serious pull and it'll be awkward to leave now there's still a way out but it's much 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 more difficult to take much more awkward to crawl through a smaller door this is the story of so many people. Change a few details. It's all of our stories. We've done this with purchases. We've done this with substances. We've done this with our image. We've done this with success. We've done this with relationships. You name it. There is always, always a door. But when you take the pull of the idol, the way out gets smaller. This is how Israel wandered for 40 years. This is how you can potentially wander your entire life. There is always a way out. And the way out, as hard as it looks, as unpleasant as it seems, this door leads to what God has for you. This door leads to the promised land. You want to make your way through the wilderness? Take the way out. Take the exit. Number three. So first you have to identify your idols. Secondly, you've got to look for that door. Number three, worship the right God. Worship the right God. I know this seems very elementary. This seems like a very obvious point, but stick with me. Uh, here, here's what I mean by this. This is so important. Here's what I mean by this. Temptation is always a question of what you're going to worship. That's what temptation is. It's not just a lie. It's an act of worship. It's not just a release from a website. It's an act of worship. It's not just spending what you shouldn't. It's an act of worship. Temptation is always a question of what you're going to worship. Am I going to worship the God of sex here? Or am I going to take that door and in so doing see that as an act of worship to my Father? Am I going to worship the God of image here? The God of money here? Or am I going to take that door and in so doing present a sacrifice to the one true God? There's always a door. 
and taking the door as an act of worship. Okay, God, this one hurts. I really want that, but I'm trusting you. I'm taking the exit door. I trust that you are faithful. I trust that you are leading me to something better, and so I will grit my teeth, and I will take the exit door. Oh, there is no sweeter song. That is wonderful, meaningful, sacrificial worship. This is why I love what Jesus' little brother, James, he wrote this. He wrote, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, and the word for trials here is, in the original wording is the word temptation. Kind of seems like a crazy verse here, doesn't it? Count it joy when you face a temptation. Count it joy. So when I feel this tug, when I feel this pull to go worship my idol, when I have this craving, I should count it joy. Why? Because it's an opportunity to present God with something more than a song. Obedience, grit, and sacrifice. Worship. Count it joy when you could present God with meaningful worship. Worship isn't just what you do in here. Worship is what you do in the wilderness of your week. So identify those idols that have a pull on you. Look for the door and choose to worship. You know, Paul started this whole thing out with a history lesson. And so I want to bookend it and finish with some history here. Generations after the Israelites wandered in the desert, God spoke through a prophet named Jeremiah. And, and God says this. Listen to this. This is, this is God speaking. You can almost feel the pain in what God is saying here. But this is God speaking to his people. He says, What did your ancestors, those who wandered in the desert, what did they find wrong with me that led them astray so far from me? They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. Doesn't this sound like so many of us? You have this desire for God, this, this desire to really follow God, to take that door, to, to worship God, to refuse anything lesser. And how many times do we find ourselves chasing the very thing that won't fill us? Drinking salt water. And God's left there saying, what, what, what do you find wrong with me? What did I do? For my people have done two evil things. They've abandoned me. The fountain of living water. And they dug for themselves cracked cisterns that hold no water at all. God says, you left me. The only one who really loves you, you left me the spring of living water to go dig empty holes. That, that, that career without me is an empty hole. That image is an empty hole. That relationship without me, it's an empty hole. You're going to spend your entire life digging empty hole after empty hole after empty hole instead of follow me for what I have for you? What you think you'll find, you won't. But even if you did, I have so much more for you. You left me to go dig some empty holes in the desert? How many of us find ourselves right there, digging empty holes in the desert? It's not that you don't love God. I mean, my goodness, you're signed on to church. You love God. There's part of you that wants more of him. 
But my goodness, there's that real pull from inside of you to to chase and be consumed by something else. I think at some level, all of us feel like children choosing a shiny penny over a $100 bill. So let me finish by saying this. There is one reason that you should take this door. One reason. One reason to walk away from your temptation. One reason to walk away from that idol and take this door the way out. One reason. God is better. He is. He's he's so much better. And it may not seem like it because this door doesn't look so good. This door looks like hard work. This door looks like putting off sex. This door looks like waiting. This door looks like, like loneliness. This door looks less glamorous. This door looks like humility. This is one ugly door. But this ugly door, what this ugly door leads to is far, far more better than empty holes in a desert. This ugly door leads to everything you're looking for. It's worth it and so much more. God is better. Take the door. Worship him. And that leads us to ask the question, okay, so what? This is what we do every time we come out of God's word. God speaks. He spoke very powerfully, didn't he? What does this mean for us? How does what God just said change me? Maybe it's a way of thinking. Maybe it's an action. But, but God's word is living and active. How do these words change our week this week? And so I just want to leave you with one question before you sign off. Here's the question I want you to carry into your wilderness this week. The question is, is what does the door to your temptation look like? What is the door out, that way out, that way of escape? What does that look like for you? This could be, this could be from something minor, like, like getting accountability, to something major, ending a relationship. But there is a door out from the temptation that you're facing. Maybe the door has gotten very small. Maybe it's very obvious right now. But what does that door look like for you? There is always a way of escape. What's that way of escape for you this week? I pray, may you not wander. May you take that door. God has so much for you. Don't miss it. Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.